Well, on, ni- on October 19th, 1856, Charles Spurgeon, who's probably one of the most well-known pastors and preachers all throughout history. He began to preach in this crowded building called the Surrey Gardens Music Hall. Now, I googled a picture of this this, uh, building, and it was massive, beautiful. It was two stories, massive like Greek columns in the middle, and people could sit up top in the risers, and they could sit down low on the floor. And as he's preaching and he begins to speak, some people ran into the building and just started yelling, fire, fire, fire. Their galleries are giving away. This place is falling down. The walls are crumbling. And all of a sudden, sections of this building just start getting chaotic. People are freaking out. There was this terrible panic that people were starting to flee from this building. They jumped over the sides of the rails. Uh, They were trampling over top of one another while people were laying on the ground. They were getting stepped on all because of some words that somebody had said. And there was thousands of people still outside of this hall trying to get in to actually hear Charles Spurgeon, which was creating even more havoc for this place. And in the middle of all that, Seven people died, and many, many more were injured. Now, the hall was so large that Charles Spurgeon didn't really understand in the moment. He didn't know that people were dying, and people were actually shouting, preach, preach, keep preaching. And so he tried to do that. He tried to make an attempt at to continue his sermon. And at the end of it, uh, somebody started yelling out fire again, and so chaos started. And the next day, After he had given given up on his sermon, the next day when the papers released, they blamed him. They blamed him for what had happened. Not these people that came in there shouting fire, causing chaos, but they blamed him. And because of this, Spurgeon actually almost went insane because of what had happened. So why do I share this story with you? Because I think we can learn something from this historical story is that We have enormous power in the words that we speak. And James is going to tell us that today in our passage. Me and my small group, we've been walking through this at my home, and it's been kicking us in the butt. Like, it has been such a punch in the face. And it's probably going to feel like that today, but that's just sometimes the truth of Scripture. Sometimes it's it's hard for us to swallow, but we need to hear it so we can apply it to our lives. Amen? Amen. Because whether you feel it or not, you have incredible power in the words that you speak. So what is James going to teach us about our words? So since you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 3 today. And I told my small group this because it cracked me up. This, it, he starts this chapter off and he's talking to people like you about people like me. And I just find it so funny that he says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. He's saying, not many of you should want to do what I'm doing right now. Why? Because you know that we who teach will be be judged more strictly. He's telling us, hey, the people that stand on this platform, they're going to have to answer for what they say. They're going to have to answer for what they do. And And what we teach, we are judged more strictly when we stand up here. And now don't get me wrong, everybody in this room, we get to heaven the exact same way by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And We'll also stand before our Creator one day and we'll have to give an account for every single word that we speak. Not just the pastor, not just the preacher, but also you. And Jesus said so in Matthew 12. He said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. And James is telling us here, hey, you want to be a teacher? You want to be a pastor? You want to be a preacher? You want to lead people and and all this? Then you're going to have to expect higher standards. 
And he's setting us up really for what we're going to talk about today, because it's not just a, this chapter isn't just about a pastor or a sermon or anything like that. It's about you as well and how our words impact what we do, because what he's really saying is, hey, when you stand up here, you have to be judged more strictly because you're proclaiming the gospel. You're proclaiming God's word. And so you are going to be using the most dangerous part of your body, and that's your tongue, your mouth. And so today we're going to unpack how the words that we speak, whether you're up here or sitting out there or you're out at your job, have a tremendous impact on the world around us and those that hear the words that we speak. And so if we're going to be for Paducah and for this surrounding area, our words have to be for God, not for ourselves and not of the flesh. And James goes on in verse two saying, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying we all mess up. We're all got our own flaws. Nobody's perfect. We all stumble. Maybe you're in here today and maybe some of you stumble with lust. Maybe you stumble with your anger. Maybe you, you, you stumble with your anxiety. You stumble with your, your spending and your budgeting. And some of you, you just stumble with your words. You just let words fly out of your mouth without even thinking about it. And James is saying, hey, if you can find someone in this world that their speech is flawless and you have found a perfect person. And that person can master and control every area of their life. Like, can you imagine being able to control your mouth perfectly? I, I can't. Like, I, I just picture myself, like, I just know all the times that I've said things and, and said hurtful things. And like, this is just such, such an amazing passage for me to apply to my life. And I hope that it is for you too. And he continues, he starts to use some illustrations that we should all be familiar with somewhat. He says in verse three, when we put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now for y'all that aren't very outdoorsy and never ridden a horse or know much about horses, a horse bit, a bit for a horse is this little bitty piece of metal like this big. And what you do is you put this metal bit into the mouth of the horse, you tie a little bit of a leather, leather strap around their head and you train this horse and you can actually determine the direction that the horse goes by this little bitty piece of metal that's in its mouth. Now, he's making this comparison because he's showing us that if you can control your tongue, you can control the direction of your mouth. And he's using also this imagery of a ship. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So he's saying, you got this big, massive boat and this little bitty rudder that controls the whole ship. He's saying, you've got this big old massive horse and this little bitty piece of metal that can control the direction. He's saying that little things can create these massive movements. Now, I wanted to give y'all like a visual to uh, understand here in person so you can see it. So Malachi, if you want to hop up here real quick, Malachi is actually our in-house reigning state champion wrestler from Paducah Tillman. Like, this is my boy. He loves Jesus. This is Malachi. I did not do this to him. I used this illustration in the first one. Someone's like, I can't believe you did that to him, but I didn't. Well, me, I brought Malachi up here because we kind of come from similar backgrounds. He, did, he does wrestling, obviously, state champion wrestler. Uh, I grew up doing, doing judo, did that in college. And I told Malachi, I said, man, I think we would probably agree on this same principle. And I think it would apply to wrestling just the same as it does judo. But I used to teach my students that where the head goes, the body follows. And so what that means is, is if, if I'm competing against Malachi and I need him to step a certain way, I'm going to control his head. 
And if I need him to go that way, his head, you see, he steps. If I need Malachi to step towards me, I'm controlling his head. If I need him to step back, I'm controlling his head. And why I'm sharing this with you is because I believe so many of us, so many times, the enemy has control of our head. The enemy has control of our tongue. And he's controlling the direction of our life using the words that we speak to other people. And we're tearing people down, not building them up. And we're using this thing in our mouth to destroy people. Because where your head goes, your body flows. And if we can't control our tongue, we're cussing out this person. We're cutting down that person. We're Judy chopping somebody else. And a lot of y'all, you're probably not going to like me after, you, after I say this, but sometimes it's not cussing that hurts people. Sometimes it's not harsh words that hurt somebody else. For some of you, it's your sarcasm. And I asked Pastor Maggie permission to share this story because it's just really just funny and lighthearted before it gets real serious. But... In January, January 1st, I made the decision, I'm done with Dr. Peppers, not drinking anymore. 23 flavors of deliciousness, bye. I can't do it. Somebody told me that one can a day for a whole year is 10 pounds of fat. I'm like, I can't do that. My heart can't handle it. Like, I'm just not going to do that anymore. So God, I give you my Dr. Pepper habit. He's like, okay. And then me, I said, well, fine. Here's what I'll do. I'll replace my one addiction with another addiction, coffee. And... Um, because I was having bad headaches, caffeine headaches were serious, I was struggling, and um, me and Pastor Maggie, we, ser- we share the same cubicle space, so I'm right here on, on my, my desk, and she's always right here, like, playing pranks and saying stuff, and throwing these little, like, fuzzy things at me, I don't even know what they are, but she's tough to work with. <laughs> and I thought she was being so nice, I had a headache one day, I was struggling, and, um, she was like, hey, I'm about to go make a coffee. You want one? I was like, yes, I do want a coffee. And uh, I was like, but all we got is that whole milk out there. And, you know, I'm lactose free. I don't, I'll be hurting all day. I was like, what can we do? She's like, we can make it with a vanilla protein shake because we drink those during the week as well. I was like, that is a great idea. And she goes, wait, have you ever had a strawberry one? And I'm like, no, is it good? She's like, yeah, it's great. Now, you got to understand the context behind that. I get made fun of a lot by my friends and people that know me for not understanding sarcasm. I don't get it. It goes right over my head. Like, you can do some pretty mean things to me because I don't get sarcasm. Very, very literal. And so I'm pumped up about this strawberry-covered chocolate milkshake. That Yeah, that's what it was. And I'm pumped up about this, get rid of my headache. And she brings it back in like 10 minutes later, and she uh, gives me a, the, the drink, and I take a sip of it, and I'm like, hmm not as good as what I thought it was going to be. But she did this really nice thing for me, so I'm just going to suck it up and drink it. And so I just take another drink. She's watching me. She's like, what do you think? I'm like, it's not bad. So I drink a little bit more, and all of a sudden she goes, ha! I got you! You weren't supposed to drink that hog. I made you really a vanilla one. And she just, I was like, Maggie, you're really going to take advantage of my inability to understand sarcasm to prank me. Like, that is so wrong. But she did have me another one already made that she was hiding. That was the real coffee, and all was good, and she's great to work with. So, But for some of you, your sarcasm is destroying the relationships around you. And sometimes you're sarcastic around people, and you don't even know that you're hurting them because their personality type isn't confrontational, so they just laugh it off and duck their head. And because of that, your sarcasm is actually closing doors for people not opening them. 
Like you think you're, you're being funny and you're kidding and what they're actually hearing, that coworker that you're always sarcastic with when they're trying to have a conversation with you, what they're hearing is, hey, this person that says that they love Jesus and go to, they go to church and they told me that they wanted to, me to come to church and, and sit with them, what they are hearing is, man, this sounds like this person is making fun of me. They say that they're joking, but is there some kind of truth behind what they're saying? Is there something about me that's leading them to say this sarcastic statement? And it's closing those doors instead of opening up a door for them to experience Jesus. Because our words have an enormous impact on those that are around us. And James punches us in the face again, and he says, those who consider themselves religious, those that go to church and say that they go to church and they're Christians and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Ooh, that hurts. It's heavy. And Jesus, who's actually James's brother, by the way, says, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth will speak. And so if all you've got in your heart is funny jokes and sarcastic statements, that's what's going to flow out of your mouth. But if Jesus changes our heart, our mouth should also change and we should speak life more than we destroy life. So your conversations can either destroy somebody's future because of the words that you do that tears them down, or you can build somebody's future by speaking life to them and speaking God's truth into them. So let's be people that build people up, not tear people down. Because words can change your home. It can change your marriage. It can change Paducah. It can change the surrounding areas. Words can change this world. How something is said can move people to action. Well, the words that you speak to somebody can change the course of this city, of your home, of this nation. Like The words that you speak are so powerful. There's a big difference between just saying, hey, I wish that we all could get along. Why can't we all just hold hands, sing kumbaya, and just get along together? It's way less impactful than saying, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, former sons of slaves and former sons of slave owners will be able to gather together around the table of brotherhood. That's way more impactful than the other. Two sets of words, two different impacts. And he continues in verse five. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. If that's true, if a great forest can be set on fire by a small spark, why would we allow something as small as a sarcastic statement to burn bridges instead of build them? Consider what a great fire is set by such a small spark. He says, this big horse is controlled by a little bitty piece of metal. This large boat is controlled by a little bitty rudder. This massive forest fire started by a little bitty spark. Little thing, a big impact. Little words can cause big problems. And I think of it like this, and maybe it's the youth pastor in me, but bear with me. Y'all, <laughs> y'all ever been just having an awesome day? You're feeling good about yourself. You just got your hair cut. You, you, you just got a new jacket, and you're you're feeling good about going to work. Somebody compliments the smell of your cologne or your perfume and you feel good about yourself. You know, you, you smell good, look good, good enough for Hollywood, that thing that we, we always tell each other. But then you see that little 12-year-old with a mullet and he looks at you and he goes, what's wrong with your hair? It looks like it's running away from you. And you're like, oh man, all of a sudden you're insecure and it's ruined your entire day. Because guess what? All that positive stuff, it's out the door. Let's be honest. You know it's true. 
we hold on to the negative words longer than we do the positive ones. And I've talked to people that when they look at themselves in the mirror, all they see are the hurtful words that people have spoken about them over the years. You're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too ugly, you're too short, your skin's too dark, your skin's too light, your face is too round, your nose looks really weird, your sense of self and the value that you place on yourself, they have all been shaped by words because words determine our world. And you've been unable to live fully alive like we've been preaching about for these past several weeks because you've been fully deceived. And you've bought into the opinions of somebody else rather than the truth of your creator. So let's let the truth of his word dictate your sense of self. And if no one's going to speak his truth into you, you speak his truth into you. And if nobody's going to speak his truth into them, you speak his truth into them. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Come on, James, why don't you tell us how you really feel? He's saying our tongue is a fire, evil among the parts of our body. It corrupts every ounce of our being. It sets the whole course of our lives on fire because it is itself set on fire by hell. He's saying our words can corrupt everything about us. And I think it's important for us to realize that we're hearing words everywhere that we go. When you're at home, you're hearing words. When you go to your job, you're hearing words. When you're in your car listening to the radio, you are hearing words. And when you've had a hard day at work and you go home and you start watching TV, you're hearing more words. And I've told the students, you got to be careful of what you're letting go in your ears because what goes in your ears goes into your heart and it eventually comes out of your mouth. And so you have to be self-conscious of what you're listening to and what you're hearing, what, what is being spoken into your life. My warning would be this song that I've heard Emily sing to our son Elias many, many times. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little mouth, what you speak. Be careful what you say, what you listen to, because listen, the words that you speak, somebody's life may, de- may depend on it. You could save somebody's life or make them make a decision, just confirming them a decision that they've been thinking about for a long time. And so if we're going to be for Paducah, our words have to show it. We have to be people that speak life, not somebody that just says all these Christian platitudes, but we really have to live it out. And I love this next verse because he says in verse 7, All kinds of animals, all kinds of birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. I I thought about this as I was reading this scripture this week. All I could instantly picture was Noah on the ark. I just picture Noah on his ark, and they wake up that morning. He's like, hey, honey, what animal you want to tame this morning? And she's like, let's tame a monkey. Let's get it to dance monkey, dance monkey, dance monkey. And then after that went pretty well, they're like, okay, that was pretty good. What can we tame next? How about a tiger? You think we could teach it to give us a high five? And so they're just taming these different things. But then James says in verse eight, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We're all gonna have issues with our tongues. That's the problem of sin. We are sinful people. But here's the principle that I want you to ponder on. Just because you can't tame it doesn't mean you shouldn't train it. You can never fully tame a tiger. A tiger is a tiger. It's built to kill. 
but people still try to train it. Just because your tongue will never be perfect doesn't mean that you just give up and never train it. And here's something that I want you all to do, not try to do, because trying is setting yourself up for failure. This is your, your challenge for this week. These are six things that I want you to do. So a welcome to the dojo of a Pastor Jays, okay? <laughs> this is a six-a-step a tongue training. Number one, do not complain or grumble at all. Some of you are like, I tap, I'm out, can't do it, done. <laughs> I'm already out, failed. Number two, do not boast about anything at all. If you just thought to yourself, well, I never boast. Well, guess what? You failed because you just boasted. Don't boast about anything. Number three, don't gossip or repeat bad information about somebody. I ain't even got to say anything else about that one. Some of y'all are canceling your hair appointments right now. (laughs) Step four, number four. Don't run down someone even a little bit. Number five, don't defend yourself or excuse yourself. No matter what, don't try to defend yourself or justify yourself. And number six, but do always affirm others or encourage others. Always encourage others. You do these six steps. Don't complain or grumble at all. Don't boast about anything. Don't gossip about anybody. Don't run someone down even a little bit. Don't defend yourself, excuse yourself, but always give encouragement to other people. If you do that, you will be taking progressive steps to training your tongue. And you might not be able to tame it, but you can train it. You do that until you come back next Sunday. Let's see how different our week is. This lesson was a free. The next one, it'll cost you. $29.99. I see your gears turning, though. I see you thinking to yourselves, man, if I can't do any of these things, what's my conversations going to be about? What are my topics going to be? It's simple. Whatever you do, let it speak life. This, there are so many words in the Bible. Speak any of that in your conversations, and I promise life is going to be spoken. Let your conversations be constructive, not destructive. Don't let your conversations be one that tear down people's lives. Let it be words that speak life into somebody and build something amazing in their life and reaffirms in them that, hey, God made me for a purpose. He, he built me for this. Like he put me in this season for a reason and it might be hard, but I know that this isn't the end of my story. What you do and what you say can change somebody's life. One invitation to church, one invitation to Jesus can save somebody's eternity. Just because you can't tame your tongue, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't train it. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking, but the mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. This speaks to training our mouth. As you become closer to Jesus, you should start thinking more about the words that you say before you just word vomit all over somebody. James chapter one, he says it in chapter one, Like, this is what it looks like to be slow to speak, slow to angry, which produces righteousness. When that conversation starts up in the break room this week and gossip is starting to happen, you're going to feel this overwhelming sensation to just engage into it and say that sarcastic statement or do whatever isn't helpful in that situation. But you know what you got to do? Just shove it down. Push it down. Fight it. Hold your breath. Count to 10. I don't know what you got to do, but just do something to be self-conscious and speak truth to yourself before you ever release evil words unto others. 
Don't come in here on a Sunday and praise God and then trash, trash talk your coworker on Monday. Because with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, James says. And with it, we also curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. And out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be this way. That's not how God calls us to live. That's called being inconsistent. You can praise Jesus on Sunday morning, but Monday, it's a whole different ball game. Tearing people down, it's inconsistent with your faith. And when we're out there and we're doing things for Paducah, every person that you come in contact with was made in the likeness of God. And every sermon that you hear on this platform, it hopefully combats what the world is trying to shove down your throat. Like the world is trying to tell you, hey, it's okay to one-up that person. If you can talk bad about them, that's going to be the next rung on the ladder for you to get up in your job. If you'll just cut down that person, that means you'll be able to do this and that in life. No, no, no. The world might teach you to do that. But if we're going to be a church and a people that are fully alive, then we have to refuse what the world calls normal. All that stuff is normal. It's normal to gossip. It's normal to slander. It's normal to do all these things that tear people down. But we are set apart. We are different. We are different from Paducah, for Paducah. We give up what feels good for the sake of us, for for what's best for his, his kingdom. Gossip does not feel good, or it does feel good in the moment, but it does not win anybody to Jesus. Letting that anger out, it feels good, but it doesn't gain you any influence at all. That's what it means to deny ourselves. When that flesh starts to stir up and you want to engage in that conversation in that negative way, you have to stop it. Deny yourself daily. Not just every other day, but daily. Because when Jesus changes our heart, the way that we speak, our words, they should change also. And when Jesus changes our heart, the way that you view other people in this world should change also. And he, James closes this out. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Or can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He's saying, you can't have a fresh start with Christ and still hold on to your salty lifestyle. And when you give your life to Christ, he washes you clean. He puts a new heart in you. And so what it all really boils down to is, We don't just have a mouth problem. We actually have a heart problem. And your mouth does have a lot of power, but it's not the problem. The problem is our heart. And Jesus showed that in Matthew 15. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Those things right there are words out of our heart. That's what defiles a person. And so maybe today we need, maybe today what you need is to pray that same prayer that David prayed in Psalms 51, that create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Because your mouth won't be different until your life becomes different. And your mouth won't be different until this becomes different. Because at the root of all disobedience is probably unbelief. Unbelief in who God is unbelief in who God says that you are. And so maybe for you, you have this unbelief and maybe you haven't confessed with your mouth. I love that salvation comes by opening up our mouth and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing it in our hearts. These are two signs that true life change is happening in you. 
And so you have that opportunity today that if you've never opened up your mouth and confessed that Jesus is Lord, our team will be out in the lobby. There will be prayer partners. They, they would love, love, love to lead you through what that looks like to surrender your life and confess openly to somebody that, hey, Jesus is Lord of my life. I've, I've been saying these things about people and I know it's not good. Like this message today, it, it showed me that, hey, what I've been doing has been destroying doorways that God has been trying to open up for me. So look, I need to change. I need my heart to change. I need my mouth to be different. But it starts by you becoming different and acknowledging Him as your Savior.